It's very hard to avoid developing an attachment wound when you grew up in a toxic home. And what is so unfair about that is the attachment wound will drive you into relationships with people who aren't available, aren't good to you, and aren't someone you ever really liked. Attachment wounds make you rush in with people you don't know, and then they make you so afraid to be alone that even if the relationship is terrible, you trick yourself into believing that the problem is somehow you. So how can you break the cycle? My letter today is from a woman I'll call Sasha, and she writes, Dear crappy childhood fairy, I'm heartbroken over a failed relationship I don't even think I wanted in the first place. You can call me Sasha. My boyfriend, who let's call Carlos, just broke up with me, and I just want this gnawing pit of hurt in my chest to go away so I can get back to focusing on me, especially since I know it's ultimately for the best. Right now, I just feel raw, hurt, embarrassed, and confused. I have CPTSD and symptoms of borderline personality disorder. Due to growing up in a toxic, abusive home, I have the worst fear of abandonment, yet I'm always the first to push someone away. My mother is a narcissist who abused me physically, verbally, mentally, and emotionally from the time I was three up until early adulthood. She controlled every aspect of my life until I moved out when I was 22. My father was cold, grouchy, mean, and distant. He often complained about having to care for his family and only married my mom so she wouldn't make him pay child support. When I was little, I was daddy's little girl. My dad was my hero since he let me get away with everything, and my mom was explosively angry and strict. I know now he just didn't care and would let us kids do as we please so we wouldn't bother him. He doesn't even speak to me or acknowledge my presence now. When I started dating, most of my relationships mirrored that. Things are sunshine and rainbows at first. I'm the most amazing being that person ever met, only for them to completely switch on me more often than not after sex. Okay. Or I just push them away by making a mountain out of a molehill, assuming at some point that the other shoe will drop even if nothing really happened. I was in a relationship until today with Carlos since this past winter. We met online as friends and we were a long distance couple with almost 1500 miles between us. We clicked immediately, realizing we could talk about any and everything together. I felt like we had chemistry, but we definitely had our differences. As friends, he would often just stop talking to me out of nowhere going months, occasionally a year plus, without speaking to me, and then popping up as if no time had passed at all. He explained it as just who he is. He's very nonchalant and keeps to himself, even going long periods of time without contacting his mother when she visits her home country. We were always flirtatious, but made it clear we most likely weren't going to be together. Okay. I wanted to have kids one day and he did not. He also said that he doesn't believe in long distance relationships. Fast forward to the present, we started dating back in March of this year when I went to his city to visit him. This was after 10 months of no contact. Prior to that, I traveled to his city to visit. The city he lives in happens to be my favorite place in the world. It feels like home and I hope to move there someday. 
The week I spent with him was one of the most romantic weeks of my life. We went on road trips, explored the city hand in hand, and eventually became intimate. When I returned home, he proudly informed me that he enjoyed our time together so much that he was going to start dating other women. Huh. When I asked why, he said it made no sense to be with me since I lived so far away. I was crushed and cut off all contact with him, even though before I laid down with him, I knew he didn't want anything serious with me. I went to his city in March for an event and decided to contact him. In my mind, I felt like I was selfish, only thinking about what I wanted. After all, he's allowed not to want, to want a long-distance relationship. I contacted him to see if he wanted to talk, just so I could hear him out, since I blocked him immediately ten months prior. In all honesty, my intention was just to talk, be friendly, and part ways. We met up, we talked, and he said he was never upset with me. And during the conversation, I casually mentioned that over the pandemic, and doing a lot of self-reflection, I realized I may not want to have kids either. Side note, that's only half true. I still have the desire to be a mom, but I have a lot of anxiety and fear around it at the same time. Nevertheless, I almost, the minute I said that, he asked me to be his girlfriend. I was elated and said yes. Oh. Over the spring and summer, we met up in person twice and it was wonderful. However, the problems arose when we were apart. He never wanted to call me or video chat, which I feel is important if you're in a long distance partnership. He only, partnership. He only wanted to text, often sending the same good morning, good night text daily. Many times I would call and he would opt to spend time with his adult niece over talking to me. Mind you, this is a niece he complains about for being selfish and rude constantly. I got really emotional about it once. He promised he would work at it, but never really did. This last time it happened a couple weeks ago is what broke us. He said going time without talking to me is not a big deal, and he felt like I was revolving my world around him and said he didn't want that kind of pressure. There it is. He also said he knows he should call more, but he does not like being on the phone. I had just went through a really stressful move. My cat ran away when I got to the new house. Um, the cat came back, and I discovered that my new roommates are trashy. Having dealt with housing trauma most of my adulthood, I felt overwhelmed and just wanted my boyfriend. I snapped at him and told him it's not just being on the phone, it's spending time together. I nearly broke up with him, but then I immediately felt remorseful about the way I acted and told him I would take a couple weeks to get my head together. I was supposed to be taking another trip to see him over the holiday weekend. And I took that time and I spent some of it writing him a letter apologizing. Explained how some of my childhood trauma triggered a lot of feelings of jealousy and fear of abandonment. I, mm, I also expressed how much I loved him and how I wanted us to work. I texted him the same day the letter was delivered, telling him I missed him and I loved him. Two days went by and I had no response. Oh. I finally reached out to him and asked if we were okay and he ended the relationship. He said he doesn't think he's built for long distance and they only work if they have an expiration date. He doesn't believe I'll ever move to his city and said if I really planned on moving, I would have saved up all the free money I got during the pandemic. I felt that comment was very insensitive considering that was an uncertain time for everyone. I used that money to take care of myself since I'm the only one that does and I will never regret that. 
He also said that we were just too different. I'm mad at myself more than anything. I allowed myself to be vulnerable with him once before, got my heart broken and didn't learn. I don't want to go back to him, but at the same time, I do, and I hate how confusing it feels. There's that word again. Confused. I keep hearing that. Tell you what I think about that in a minute. I hate feeling abandoned and rejected. I hate... Mm -hmm. I hate thinking of him being with someone someone else because between us he's really not even my type physically or personality wise so why do i even care <laughs> yeah <laughs> i put so much into being with him and never got the same energy back i i surprised him by buying tickets to a water park during one of my visits that we didn't even get to use because he said he wouldn't have time yep that was almost $200 gone to waste. I made reservations at a very expensive restaurant for us to go when I visit that will also be going to waste. I also tried to make myself available for him, also initiated the affection only to be treated like an option for him when he's bored. I often do that, even with platonic relationships. I put so much more than I'm getting back only to get upset and feel taken advantage of. Even though it's 100% my fault, I don't have any friends. Oh, there it is other than one really good friend who also happens to live far away. However, he's in a relationship and I don't like imposing on him too much. I'm pretty isolated and crave connection, yet I'm extremely socially anxious. I wonder if I agreed to being with Carlos because I was tired of being alone. Don't, how many people have we done that with, right? Yet oftentimes, being with him, I felt more alone than ever. I try to create the idea of what I think a relationship should be in my head. Mm-hmm. I mean, what else can you do, right? And even if that's not reality, even if the other person is clearly not on the same page. I'm not sure I want to be with anyone right now because it's too painful to even fathom that. As badly as I want love in my life, the idea of going out there and dating seems exhausting. I just want the hurt to go away so I can get back to improving my life. For me, any advice is help and it's appreciated. Okay, all right, Sasha, I got you. Yeah, uh, what a situation. Uh, everything that you're describing with this guy just sounds totally normal for those of us who grew up the way you grew up. <laughs> and, you know, I'm laughing with self-recognition here. Your mom, narcissist, abused, controlling, and, um, and your father was cold, grouchy, mean, and distant, and they were against each other, and you were in the middle of all of that. And so mo when you started dating, most of your relationships mirrored that, and they still do. So you're still in it. You're still at the effect, right? You know, believe me, this can, it can stop going this way, but you're going to have to make a big change for that to happen. It's not going to just evolve because you meet the right guy or, you know, just sort of decide. Like, it's really going to take a conscious effort on your part. One of the biggest thing it takes to change your pattern of dating unavailable people or falling in love with them. You know, it's almost like you weren't even quite dating here. It was so dodgy. But to stop falling in love and, you know, pouring your life force out for unavailable people, one of the most important things you can do is get clear what is an appropriate person for you and really be specific, like, what are the characteristics of that person? First of all, they have to be able to be with you. And maybe a long-distance relationship would instantly be ruled out. In order to date somebody and get to know them, you have to spend time together. And so if spending time together is prohibitive, a lot of your years of your life can go by, you know, not really getting to know somebody 
And because you have a pattern here, you're saying, you're telling me you have a pattern. You go for people like this. They don't really care about you. You pour out all your energy. I would just treat this like time for the emergency plan, time to treat it like a very serious condition that has to be handled in a very special way. So I would just take off the table, no long distance relationships. And then write down other things that are no deal, you know, that would ruin this. Okay. Need to be available to date, need to express that they're interested, need to continually express that they're interested, need to um, stay in communication and decide like, what's a realistic amount of communication that you would need to feel okay. And this can be dictated by what feels okay to you. You don't have to lower your standards to make room for some guy who goes with the wind, baby. He calls every month if he feels like it. Get used to it. Don't be that girl. Do not be cool girl. That's terrible. That's just awful. And that's just how he is. And so that's the thing. Like in your childhood, nobody was helping you sort of develop your sense of like, this doesn't feel like I'm getting treated right. How about this? No, I'm out. Or you know, you, you never know what relationships can go like when you actually have boundaries. I'm not telling you to go back to this guy. And you did such a good job of self-awareness to realize you were doing everything. You did all the lifting. You called him. He blew you off. You told him you loved him. He didn't do anything. You called him. You called him. You texted him, you know, and then he just said it, he ended it. And um, that I just think if it gets to the point that only you are driving it. First of all, it means they're not driving it. And some people will drive it if you get out of the way a little bit, you know, don't like never be the one who drives more if you have what we have. If you have a tendency to sort of rush in and attach, even though you don't like him, like you said, he's not even your type. And sister, have I been there? <laughs> you know, you just attach anyway. And it's, it's loneliness driven. Loneliness is, is terrible. It's really hard to be alone. And it's very tempting just to have a boyfriend if it seems like one is there for the taking. But then you don't really like them, so it doesn't really work, even if they did want to be with you. And then they don't want to be with you because it's not right, and they, they see it. And then it's like, oh no, I'm getting abandoned. And that is exactly what it's like to have an attachment wound. You rush in and you can't get out. Because getting out triggers that abandonment melange feeling that's unbearable. Like it's worth staying in a miserable relationship all your life in your mind to avoid that terrible feeling that you get when relationships end, either they end it or you end it. But like when we end it, then we go into this like terrible remorse and go running back. Like how many times have you done that? So that's what we have to heal. We have to heal how we handle our feelings that come up when we date. And we don't want to, um, you know, create a whole bunch of dating opportunities that you could predict are not going to work out. The ones that, that you can tell won't work out because you don't have the same goals because they're not your type because you haven't done the due diligence to let things um, develop and have them show you, have them demonstrate to you that they're interested through their behavior without any, you know, demands or encouragement or pushing from you. You can sort of like show a little flirtation and then just see, just see what they do. And, you know, interestingly, a lot of people, uh, certainly men will, if you, if you, you know, are not pushing for it, 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 it becomes a little more interesting to them. Nobody really likes somebody who's pushing and we all have a nervous system. And even when we're saying one thing with our mouth and acting like we're cool and it's okay, our nervous system will communicate the feeling of desperation, you know, the feeling of frantic need for this to work out no matter what. And so even when they're hearing the words they want to hear, they're feeling with their nervous system, like something's not right. The words, do, I don't think, 
I don't believe the words or something feels desperate here. And that's the harshest thing, right? Because when you're feeling desperate, like desperate for love, desperate for companionship, and people are like, oh, don't be desperate. It's like, you don't be desperate. You don't know what it's like. It's a desperate situation to be alone for a long time. It's hard, right? And, uh, and yet we have to learn how to be happy and at peace and to have um, a sense of awareness so that we're, we're really just like paying attention and observing another person rather than, you know, attaching to them and retroactively finding out who they are and then being disappointed. That's not kind. It's not fair. So really getting to know somebody slowly as a friend, you know, possibly a little flirtation there. If you want to take my dating course, I walk you through that process of, you know, really naming what you want. I mean, a couple hundred criteria is good to do. You're not going to get everything you want, but it's really good to get clear about what the deal breakers are and start to just, you know, shine sunlight on what your heart's desire really is. Because when we grew up with parenting like you had, when that happens, we're so good at crap fitting. We're so good at like, well, I really, you know, I want children. And then, you know, because he's being distant, this jerk you don't even like is being distant. Then you're like, well, actually, no, I worry about having kids. So let me phrase that as no, I, I don't want kids either. Like that is way too big a thing to be crap fitting on. And you know that. I mean, I'm not trying to lecture you, but just just for the sake of validation, like, don't do that. This guy is not for you. He didn't match on that thing. So even if he was wonderful, you guys don't match. So and then you you're, you're beating yourself up and saying, I allowed myself to get, you know, uh, the anxiety, the fear. I, you know, I did all this stuff. And and you're also trying to like reason with so here's the thing. When somebody breaks up with you, it's going to be a mix. They're going to tell you just enough to help you understand that they don't want to be with you, but they may not be telling you all the details. And some of the details might be fudged a little bit because even when people are breaking up with you, most of them would rather not hurt you. And it doesn't sound like this guy is a sadist or anything. I mean, I, I'm kind of with you. I feel like he was telling you all along. I kind of would like to be connected to you. I'm not even sure I want to date you. I don't think there's a future for us. And, you know, everything in his behavior was consistent with that. And I don't blame you. I, you know, like we're in a culture where it's like, yeah, but you can have sex anyway. But when you have an attachment wound, if you have sex with somebody who really is not available, you know, in the, like this guy wasn't, it doesn't matter. Your nervous system reads it as <laughs> we're together now. And that's just how it rolls. You know, that's just how it works. And I'm like that. And a lot of people are like that. And it's considered like something is wrong with it, but actually it's totally healthy. The part that's not healthy is the part where we can't acknowledge where we're coming from and what we want. And then we pretend to be somebody we're not. We try to, you know, fit ourselves to somebody else's um, idea of what would work. And, and then we just cannot fight with ourselves enough. We can't successfully shut down the part of ourselves that protests loudly. I don't want this. I want the real thing. I want the full thing. I want the thing that leads to kids. You know, that's like, that's not going to shut up in you. You can't, you can't expect a relationship to work when you're hiding that part of yourself. So ironically, <laughs> You want people to get pushed away by the truth of you. So if that's what you want, if kids are what you want, like I'm, I'm also a person like I knew I wanted kids and I was sick of ending up in sort of quasi relationships with people who were not suitable for having kids with or definitely didn't want them. 
And um, I got very clear about it, and then I, I just wore it on my sleeve. And then, and then, you know, I didn't manage that whole process perfectly or anything, and just, I, yeah, things, stuff happened. I ended up with children, <laughs> but I did, at that time, I was not with a good partner. And, um, but at least I was no longer, you know, spending all that time, all of my 30s, pretending to go along with somebody who was completely, that was never going to happen. And um, getting honest with myself is a process. And it started there. And I'm so grateful for my kids. I really, like all my life, I knew that I wanted kids. And I have two wonderful kids. And their dad is my friend. He's my friend. We were briefly married. It didn't work out, not surprisingly. And, uh, you know, he showed up and helped parent the kids very well. So, yay, you know, <laughs> I'm glad I got honest. And if I were a perfect person and I didn't have trauma, I would have done things in a much different way. And I would have done it in the order you're supposed to do it. I would have, you know, found the right guy and gotten married early. And I would have, would have loved to have had more kids. But I, everything just transpired the way it did. For a person with trauma, I feel good about how it went. So it's really important to be honest with yourself about what your heart's desire really is, or you are not going to get it. <laughs> and... Um, I would like you to have everything that your heart's desire uh, tells you that you need to be happy and stop compromising it and stop fitting it to some guy that you met online. Thank you so much for listening. If you love my content, think about joining my membership program. You can find out more information about that and all my courses and coaching programs at crappychildhoodfairy.com. Remember, healing is possible. People with childhood PTSD can have a wonderful life. Sometimes we just need a few workarounds. I'll see you next time.